You're listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. For more information, please visit our website at everynationgta.org. All right, well, good morning to you all. It's great to be with you. And for those who don't know who I am, my name is Richard, one of the teaching pastors here at Every Nation GTA uh, Church. And it's great to have you at our online service and to all the Every Nation GTA family scattered across the GTA, wherever you may be catching this. It's great, again, to be with you, and a special shout-out to our downtown watch party. And so we're excited that that is uh, going well, and we hope that um, we can gather together where, in whatever format, whether it's online or in person, that we're gathering together to uh, worship together and to hear God's Word together. And with that in mind, we're going to be jumping into our Lent series, and so we're moving quickly towards Easter. We're pretty excited for that. But we want to still linger in the the tone and the feel of Lent. And throughout this series, we're talking about it has a bit more of a reflective, repentant tone. And the whole idea of Lent is really to um, give significance to the weight of Jesus' death and resurrection that we look at our lives and see, is it aligned uh, with how God wants us to live? Is it aligned with our hearts being fully turned toward God? And, and if all of us are honest are in different parts of our lives. We're not fully aligned, we're not fully returned to God. And so this series has that in mind of how do we return full and wholehearted to God. So this week I was reading in an article that Finland is, for the sixth year in a row, being voted the happiest place on earth. So not Disney World, not Disneyland. <laughs> and so they have many factors that go into that. It's pretty complex. I'm not going to bore you with that. But they rank countries according to a set of factors and determine and spit out which places on earth are, are the happiest. So just in case you're wondering, Canada's up there in 15th place. But Finland, considering a country that deals with cold weather like we do, has long winters and in some parts has no daylight for part of the year. Um, but people in Finland thrive when it comes to life satisfaction. And so, um, again, it's, it's a complex thing. It's not just one or two things. There's also a lot of external things there. They've got great healthcare systems in place. They've got great social systems in place. But what I want to turn our attention to is mental health experts commenting on this. Said there's a myriad of reasons, but part of it is just the attitude and the habits of the Finnish people themselves. They, they identified six kind of key factors that they thought really uh, lent them well to f- uh, experiencing more fuller life satisfaction. Um, for instance, work-life balance is a really big priority for Finnish people. Access to nature, getting out and being in nature, really important. Social relationships, the social fabric of that society seems to be really strong and trusting. Um, there's a real emphasis on learning new skills, not just for work, but for hobbies, and invariably doing that with other people. So there's that social component again. But the last two, the ones that I thought were really interesting and really align with where we're going today in the psalm, is they prioritize contentment over happiness, thinking about happiness being this kind of more peak euphoric experience versus more of a quiet, just contentment with my life and what I have. And then the last one is emotional honesty. Uh, Finnish people have less of a desire to lie about their emotional well-being. So maybe in certain other cultures, we say, how are you doing? We expect a response, I'm doing fine, I'm doing okay. Uh, in that culture, it's a lot more common place to say, I'm not doing okay, things aren't going well. And that's pretty normative and, and helpful. And so how do we live productively with contentment and emotional health when life isn't going well? When maybe external factors don't lend us to experience a happy life. And then as we look through that, those factors, what about God? Where is God in the equation? Does God have any bearing on the quality and happiness 
of our life. And so we're going to dive into Psalm 130 today. Now, it's, it's, it's a, a typical psalm throughout Lent. It's one of the repentance psalms, if you will. Um, but this really is a psalm about how to live honestly with contentment um, in the tension of two realities, in the reality of life and the reality of God. And so we're going to dive in and look at that and it, uh, look at how we can live in that tension well. And so Psalm 130, I'm reading from the NIV. It says, Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so that we can with reverence serve you. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. And so let's quickly pray, and then we're going to dive in. So, Father, we do come to you, and we do want to be a people that find contentment, happiness, in you, God. And so I pray that your word would do its job well in our lives by your spirit. Would it come and speak to where each of us are at, encourage us, strengthen us, but also not leave us there, God, that we in turn would be transformed more fully uh, into your image of your son. And so we pray this for your glory and our joy in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first part I want to start off is I want to tell this life intention. Life intention. You think about tension, you think about something being held in tension. Tension is strain, and we can feel life in strain in many ways, mentally, emotionally, relationally, financially, politically, vocationally, in your job. Physically, even we can experience strain. Maybe for a handful of you, life is going really well, and we celebrate that. We 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 rejoice when people are rejoicing. Um, but probably maybe for the majority of us, we're really honest. There's probably elements of our life that are intention, elements of our life that are feeling strain, and I think that's pretty normative for life. By the way, um, sometimes we have this idea that life that we're not living life well if, if things are not always rosy. And so, life intention is the reality that we face. And so, the psalmist opens up, and the first three verses, he basically says, "Life is hard, evil is real. Does God care? Life is hard." Evil is real. Does God care? Life is hard. Out of the depths. Out of the depths, I cry to you. In other words, you could say, I think the, the message Bible says, I've hit rock bottom. Um, and maybe you haven't hit rock bottom, but sometimes we have those days when out of the depths of just like, man, life is hard. It's adversity, trouble, whatever it may be. But then he goes on to another level of just emotional honesty, coming back to, to what we were reading earlier uh, in the in the opening about just the, the quality of being emotionally honest is really helpful, especially if we're working towards happiness and contentment in life. He talks about how um, just an awareness of sin or evil uh, around him. Lord, if uh, you kept a record of sins, who could stand? And so, you know, in our society, we, we might call things sin, but when you see injustice, when you see brokenness, when you see something not working well, when you see inequality, when you experience regret, guilt, shame, these are all fruits of what scripturally we would call sin. And so we're aware of the factors that we may not call it that, and especially for people who aren't, uh, maybe you're not a Christian or you're kind of checking 
this from the outside in, but there is an awareness that things don't work as they should sometimes. And he goes to another level, not just out there, but, but in here, just an awareness of his failings, awareness of his shortcomings, especially in relation to, to God. God, if you, if you counted up my sins, if you kept a record, uh, that's not good for anyone. And so that can be overwhelming. So life is hard. Evil is real. We see it. We're confronted out there on our TV screens and our newspapers and our, and our, our social scrolling. But if we're truly honest, when we look at that mirror, when we look at sometimes in our lives, when we look at the past, look at some of the things that we've done, we think we our motives, if we're truly honest, we can see that there's also an, 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 a sin and an, an awareness of brokenness and evilness within us. And then the third part is, it does God care in all this. In other words, God, hear me, listen to me, be attentive to me. Are you near? Are you with me? Does, does God even care about all this? And, and if does God does care, then why is life hard? Why does evil persist? Why is evil real? And so life intention, one of the first encouragements I see in terms of, of the Psalms is that it encourages us to get really honest. And it releases the tension, if you will. Doesn't necessarily solve or fix it straight away, but it definitely releases the tension through prayer. Now, Eugene Peterson, the late Eugene Peterson, he wrote the Message Bible, was a pastor, theologian, an author for the longest time. He talks about the Psalms and he says their Psalms show us that prayer is less like raising your hand in a classroom and um, asking God a question. And it's more like engaging God in a conversation like you would a friend. And in, in other words, it's the fullness of who we are meets the fullness of who God is. And that comes through prayer. That comes through the Psalms. Uh, Athanasius said it beautifully. He says, most scriptures speak to us. The Psalms speak for us. And so the Psalms have often been ta- talked about as the prayer book for the people of God. And in the Psalms, not just in this Psalm, but if you read all 150 of Psalms, you're going to see the full range of human emotion on display. And so I think the Finnish people are onto something. I think emotional honesty is not just a great human quality. I think it's a biblical quality. I think it's something that God uh, requires of us, something that's incredibly helpful for us. And we see the dysfunction when we bottle up our emotions. Um, and so praying through our emotions, God, I'm hit rock bottom. God, life is hard. God, evil is real, not just out there. I see it in me. And like I, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I still seem to do. Gosh, God, if you're keeping a record of wrongs, I'm done. I'm done. God, please hear me. Be with me. Be attentive to me. Don't leave me alone. Don't abandon me. A sense of alienation sometimes in the tensions of life. And so the encouragement to you and I just firstly is through prayer, we can process that better and well with God. In prayer, we bring everything that we are, everything that we are uh, to God. But also through prayer, we get everything that God is for us. And so that's the beautiful thing. You know, the formative power of prayer is prayer sometimes changes what we're praying for, and sometimes it doesn't immediately, but prayer always changes us. The formative power of prayer, prayer always changes us. I think it's one of the the key reasons Jesus said to pray for your enemies, because he knew that you can't just love your enemies. You can't just... You can't just be kind and merciful to people who spitefully use you. He, but when we pray for them, something changes. Our hearts change. And so we're encouraged in the life and when we experience the tensions of life to pray through that. Um, prayer changes how we feel, uh, sorry, how we see, feel and live um, life in the tension. 
because of the reality of God. And so we have the reality of life. Life is hard. Evil is real. Is God really about doing what he should be doing? And now we're going to come to part of the psalm where the reality of God begins to confront this reality of life. And that's the tension also we find ourselves in, especially for you and I, those of us who are followers of Jesus. Now I want to call this, but God. The key verse, I think, is in verse 4, where he says, but with you there is forgiveness. And then towards the end, he kind of rephrases that. He says, but with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. And so prayer brings my reality, certainly the reality that I'm experiencing right now, brings it to God. But then through prayer, I'm able to access God's reality. And sometimes those are not in sync. And so prayer reminds us that presence always trumps answers. What do I mean by that? I mean, have you ever been through a really hard, difficult situation, maybe a tragedy, maybe you yourself experienced it, or perhaps someone that you know, and when you come into that situation, the question is, I don't know how this could happen. Why would this happen? Maybe you get that that cancer diagnosis. Maybe you suddenly lost your job. Whatever it may be, those are legitimate questions. Out of your depths, you're crying out, why is this happening? Why me? And I think in those instances, answers can be helpful, but answers really isn't what we're looking for. Answers really isn't the comfort. It's the presence of people around us that love us that is really soothing and healing to our souls in those moments. You know, if I come to someone, um, you know, if, if someone's in a hospital bed and they've just got a di- diagnosis of cancer and they're like, I don't understand why is this happening. I'll say, oh, let me explain to you how cancer works. And I give them a 10-minute explanation of this is exactly why this is happening to your body. And this is probably what it was caused by, da, da, da. You feel better? <laughs> probably not. Um, and so sometimes um, answers can be, I'm not saying answers aren't helpful, sometimes just knowing what's going on. But I think in these moments, presence matters more than answers. And sometimes in prayer, we don't get answers, right? We don't get the answer to why this is happening, why it didn't happen, why my life isn't going the way I planned. Sometimes God reserves the right to not dish out the answers. But his presence is always made available to us. When we face tough situations, we may not get an answer, but we always get God. And with God, our reality is always redemptive. It's always hopeful with him. And so the but God, the but God of verse 4 is so critical. And it's so critical. You see this all through scripture. You know, if you want to really nerd out a little bit, put in a Bible search but God or but with God, that phrase, and see how many times the reality of God invades our reality and things change. I've got just a select few. I'm going to go through very quickly, but I'm hoping that you're just going to begin to see what we're talking about is that, yes, life is hard. The reality of our life is real. Let's be honest about that. And then, but God, there's a whole other reality that needs to come into this picture and then finding how we're going to live in that tension is where we're going to land today. So let's Buckle in, yeah, Genesis 1.8, it's 1.8 verse 1, it says, But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark, and he sent the wind over the earth and the waters receded. Joseph in Genesis 50 verse 20, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. First Samuel 23 says, David stayed in the wilderness. Day after day, Saul, the king of the time, searched for him. But God did not give David into his hands. Saul was looking to kill David. We're glad for the but God there. Psalmist says in Psalm 73, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. 
Jonah 2, what a great story of Jonah. If you've ever read it, it says, To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, but God, brought my life up from the pit. Peter, in Acts 3, talking to the people of Israel, puts it pretty straightforward. He says, you killed the author of life, speak about Jesus. But God raised him from the dead. Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 1 says, but God chooses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. But God chooses the weak things of the world to shame the strong. In Romans 5, I said, one of my favorite scriptures, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And lastly, Jesus, looking at his disciples, said to them, with man, this is impossible. But God, but with God, all things are possible. And so there are so many more in scripture. It actually was a really uplifting and encouraging exercise that I went through just looking through that. There is always a but God to our realities. And this is the psalmist is doing this beautifully. And so he starts honestly, he starts with where he's at, starts like Jonah, starts like some of these people, like, man, things are pretty dire. Things are pretty troublesome. Out of the depths, I cry to you, God, help me. Um, and so the but gods of scripture remind us that there's a God reality we need to factor into our reality. And the but gods of scripture empower us to live differently in the tension of reality. And so now let's look at how we're to live in the tension, how we're to live in the tension of a reality that isn't what it should be, isn't according to how God initiated it in creation. And yet we know God and his goodness. You know, the psalmist talks about God with you as forgiveness, with you as unfailing love, with you as full redemption. How do we reconcile those two realities, not just out there, but in your life, when you're sitting with that diagnosis, when you find yourself in a place in life you didn't want to be. How do you reconcile those two worlds and live out? And I think the psalmist helps us with that, living in the tension. And we come back to verse 4 and continue with that verse. It says, but God, but with you, God, there is forgiveness so that we can, with reverence, serve you. There's a purpose to God's forgiving us. It's not just, hey, your sins are clean, go and live how you want. It's, there's a purpose to God's goodness. There's a purpose to God intervening into our situation. It's so that he can put us on to a different trajectory. He can infuse our lives with purposeful living, even as we find ourselves in some challenging realities. And so purposeful living is um, what I want to talk about as we end this off and help us to, to manage this tension of living in this reality. And the first response there is one of to revere and serve. Now, um, I want to read the scripture. I don't have it up to you in the screen, but in Romans 2, it talks about, it talks about this, talks about the, the goodness of God. It says, or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? But with God, there is forgiveness. But with God, there's unfailing love. But with, it, with God, there is full redemption. In other words, the goodness of God towards us is not just to give us, uh, you know, to to clear away our guilt and shame, but it's to put us on a different trajectory. It's to change our hearts and our lives. And if forgiveness leads to a change of heart, and the word there is revere, it's just another word for worship or honor, and our lives, that we're to serve him. With you, God, there is forgiveness so that we can, with reverence, serve you. So that's the first response. The first response 
to the bad God of Scripture is to put us on a different trajectory, to reframe our internal world, to love God, to worship Him, to put Him first, to honor Him, revere Him, hallow Him, if you will, from the Lord's Prayer, and then it's to serve Him with our lives. And then the second part of living in this tension is the title of this message, Waiting on God, Waiting and Hoping, Wait and Hope. In the psalmist talks about, I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits for Him, and in His Word I put my hope. I wait for him more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. And so it's not just the act of waiting. And I think when you and I hear waiting, we can sometimes think of it being a very passive thing, like I'm waiting for the bus or I'm waiting for this email. But it's not just how, it's not just that we're waiting, but it's how we wait, right? You know, and I know we can wait in very different ways. For instance, we can wait very impatiently right? We can be waiting impatiently for that bus to come or that email to arrive, whatever it is, my order to get served if you're sitting at a restaurant. We can wait anxiously, right? We can wait anxiously. We can be waiting for that doctor's call based upon test results. We can wait anxiously. We can wait passively. We can wait passively just it's out of my hands or we can wait fatalistically. We can just like, well, you know, fate is going to lead my life anyways, or we can wait cynically. We can wait in a way that's cynical, like, oh, nothing's going to change anyways. Kind of reminds me of a brilliant song way back by a guy called John Mayer. It's called Waiting on the World to Change. And the lyrics, part of the lyrics of that song kind of speak to this way, sometimes the way that we wait. He says, now we see everything that's going wrong. With It's really hard to read this and not sing it, but I'm not going to sing it for you. <laughs> Now we see everything that's going wrong with the world and those who lead it. We just feel like we don't have the means to rise above and beat it. So we keep waiting, waiting, waiting on the world to change. Great song. Google it afterwards. Enjoy that. And so John Mayer, speaking for his generation, this was, I don't know, written in, in maybe 10, 15 years ago, something like that. He's looking at his generation and, and them wanting to bring change, them wanting to bring some change to the, the things that they see in the world, the positive aspects. You can call it the social justice movement, whatever it is. And that feeling, this disempowerment, like we can't really do it. We just feel like we don't have the means to do it. And so we just kind of wait for the world to change kind of passively. And I think there's a way that we can wait. The way that the psalmist is calling us to wait is not to wait passively, but is to wait expectantly. In fact, waiting and hoping are interchangeable really in this, this psalm. And so what would waiting for us, what does waiting on the Lord look like? How do we live in this tension well um, when reality doesn't reflect what we know should be and ought to be, and yet we know the goodness of God. How do we not just sit back and just feel like John Mayer and, and, and our generation are like, well, we don't have the means to really rise above and beat it. We're just this too powerful systems, too much powerful people. And so waiting for the Lord and waiting on the Lord kind of looks like this. It looks a little bit like looking forward. It looks forward in anticipation. There's a sense of our waiting. I wait like the watchmen wait for the morning. Now, watchmen wait for the morning. They know morning's going to come. It's not, will morning come? I'm not sure if morning it came yesterday. It came the day before, but this morning, no, there's, there's a knowing morning is going to come and I'm waiting for it. I'm anticipating it. I'm hoping for it. I'm banking on it. And so waiting on the Lord means that we can live in attention by looking forward in anticipation of God's redemptive plan to unfold. It's kind of like the certainty of you've bought a house. If you bought an apartment, 
is that you might sign the title deeds and, and it's the waiting between when you've signed that and it's yours to when you finally move in. It's a sense of expectancy. It's like Christmas morning for kids. It's the sense of the knowing that this is going to happen, a sense of hope and expectancy. Or maybe like a wedding day. You know that day is coming and there's a sense of joy. Waiting on the Lord is, a, is looking forward in hopeful anticipation. But for us, unlike the psalmist, for us, we have the benefit of not just looking forward. We have the benefit of looking backward. And we look backward with confidence because of Jesus, that we see Jesus. We see God, the God of the psalmist here, enter human history, live life, die, resurrect from the grave. We can look backward with confidence to see God's forgiveness, unfailing love, and full redemption embodied in front of us in the history books. And then that allows us to live presently by participating with God in his redemptive plan, by following Jesus or what it means to follow Jesus, to follow him, to bring our lives increasingly in alignment with the way that he intended life to be lived. It's praying your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. It's a participation, not a passivity. It's active waiting. It's active participation um, in the redemptive plans of God as we look forward and backward at the same time. And then lastly, this is not just an individual effort. I love how he ends off the psalm by encouraging Israel. So it's both personal and communal. He goes from, I will put my hope to Israel, put your hope. We wait and hope in the tension of life together. And sometimes uh, we don't have the hope in us. Sometimes life is just beating it out of us, and that's okay. That's when the people around you can say, hey, on Israel, Richard, put your hope in God. God's good. God's unfailing love. We can come in not with answers maybe and not with just trite little bumper sticker Christianese things to say, but we can encourage and be with one another to wait and hope for the goodness of God to be unveiled and released in our lives, in our society. And so the invitation as we close today, the invitation to you and I is to be honest before God. If any people should be honest before God, it should be the people of God. God bless the finish, but we should outdo them in our honesty before God because we know we've got nothing to lose. God welcomes. God knows what's in your heart anyways. God knows how you know crappy your life may be going at that moment. It's just when we align ourselves and say, God, life is really tough right now. This is really hard. This marital situation, this relationship at work with my finances, with my kids, uh, I'm racked with guilt and shame. I've done things I'm ashamed of, whatever it may be, we're invited to express emotional honesty and our trust in God. And then we're also reminded that no matter how dire your situation, our situation, the world situation finds itself in, there's always a but God to remember, waiting and hoping for God to move and act. Relational turmoil, but God. If you're facing marital stress, but God. If you're facing unemployment, but God. If you're facing guilt and shame, but God. And so I want to remind you of Jesus' words again as he looked at them and said to his disciples, as he looks at you and I and says to us, with mankind, this is impossible, but with God. All things are possible. And so today, be encouraged by that as we go through this Lenten series, that God isn't aloof. God does care. God is attentive to us. God hears our cries. 
and he longs for his reality to invade our reality. And when we pray, God, let your kingdom come, when we remind ourselves about God's scriptures, we become conduits of that reality invading earth, invading our lives first and through us, invading the people around us, bringing the kingdom of God. With man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Put your faith, your trust, waiting and hoping in him today. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. Thanks for joining us. For more information, visit our website at everynationgta.org.